0: What's the first thing you think of daily when you wake up in the morning? For most of us, it's either coffee or we pick up our phone or a combination of both. (laughs) That's a bold statement to say we're all addicts, but I mean, really think about it. That's one of our biggest attachments. So if that's one of our biggest attachments, what kind of relationship do I have with this attachment? You ask, What kind of relationship did you have with your parents? Were they loving? Were they kind? Were they abusive? Were they controlling? What kind of relationship do you have with your spouse or significant other or your friends or your boss in a toxic workplace? If you apply those same things to your phone, we're looking to that attachment for dopamine hits daily. It makes us feel good. It gives us things that no human being in any relationship can give on that level.
1: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
2: I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey, friends. Today on the Living Centered Podcast, we get to introduce you to behavioral and organizational psychologist Bob Hutchins. Hannah and I sat down for a fascinating conversation with Bob all about technology and attachment and how the last couple of years have impacted our collective and individual understanding of grief, loss, and connection. Like I said, it was a fascinating conversation, and I learned so much. Bob loves to write, consult, teach, and communicate about the intersection of digital media, culture, and psychology with a restorative worldview— As someone who spent the first part of his career in the digital marketing space, Bob shares his passion for media while acknowledging the real consequences and the downfalls. He also shared his hope for how we can use media to better connect with ourselves, others, and humanity. I love this conversation. I love the way Bob's brain thinks, and I love some of the connections he made between psychology and media. So, meet our friend, Bob Hutchins. Bob, thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to get to sit you. Thank you for having me. So excited to get to to know you a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it's fun to be here.
2: Yeah, I um, was telling you, we had lunch before this, that I have known of you for probably six or eight years. And so when I watched your most recent TED Talk, I just really got pulled in and I thought, Mm -hmm. we need to have him on the podcast. Because I think the topic that you talk about, and we'll spend some time talking about Mm -hmm. that, but just really resonates with what a lot of us are feeling. And so... Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, and would you I tell us just kind of what you do and yeah. how you kind of found well, in this space of psychology time, and but marketing? But,
0: <laughs> um, it's pro- maybe adult ADD, I don't know, but I like to do a lot of things a lot of the time. But my career has been in marketing, mm-hmm. specifically digital marketing, yeah. for the past 20 plus years. So I was in really early in the bleeding edge of, mm-hmm. of digital yeah. experience. Space it's and so it's changed I started, quite
3: a bit. I'm it sure it has,
0: it has. But you know the old saying: the more things change, the more they stay the same.
3: Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. um, that's kind of true in the digital world because mm-hmm. I've seen different versions of it. I started a, an agency back in the early 2000s that was a digital agency here in mm-hmm. Nashville, and we focused on entertainment clients. We focused on publishing clients and in the entertainment space and uh, books music events, and then movies. And that was a really focus in the early days of, of, the, inter- of the internet. They were first in because mm. you have a fan base. Yeah. You're trying to spread the word. You're creative out-of-the-box thinking, trying mm-hmm. to get the word out. So it was really what we call low-hanging fruit right. as far as um, what I could convince clients to go with digital marketing. Because yeah. believe it or not, back then, if you were to look at a list of priorities, it was probably number 10
1: hmm. on <laughs>
0: budgets, priorities. Right. It, people weren't really thinking about it hmm. because it wasn't a thing. right? And you couldn't prove that it was something that could have a return on investment yeah. because just people didn't know. So obviously over time that changed and grew and then I ran that agency for 17 years Got into all kinds of different clients and vertical markets. And then from there, closed that down at the end of 2017. Took a break for about a year and have been consulting. Went back and got my master's degree in behavioral and organizational psychology during COVID. And um, the past year and a half, two years, have been really going into behavioral psychology and Mm. organizational psychology as it pertains to the intersection of technology, the internet, social media, And the effects, good, bad, and
3: ugly. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have a lot to dive in around (laughs) that. Good, bad, and ugly. (laughs) What kind of led to that shift? That's seemingly a a big big shift, shift. at least on paper, from marketing to organizational psychology. Well, there's two
0: things we were talking about before we turned record on, that I've always believed that good marketing is a mixture of two parts, one part psychology, one part math. Mm -hmm. And that seems to simplify things. But really, when you understand what motivates and moves mm-hmm. people, whether it be words, whether it be colors, whether it be emotional images that can move people, where the, for instance, people respond to the human face,
4: yeah.
0: face on, eyes forward, smiling, frowning, more than they respond to maybe – other types Mm -hmm. of images. And so, you know, we could go on have the whole podcast talk about that. But I began to see that in digital marketing. Mm -hmm. It's it's one of the few places where you can test that real time. Mm -hmm. So psychology, understanding behavior, consumer behavior, but also the math that went along with it. Meaning, Mm -hmm. how do you measure that? How do you look at the returns on that? How do you scale that? How do you report on that? And so that's what good marketing was. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing a lot of psychology by default. And then, so that's one motivation. Mm -hmm. The other motivation was at the end of 2017, I had my own crash and burn, burnout, went through a lot of different things and came out of that recovering from that about two, three years after, really like reevaluating my life. Mm-hmm. What was really important? Yeah. Um, what do I believe? What do I think is important in life? And how do I want to spend the rest of my life? So I think those are all universal questions. Just mm-hmm. some
2: easy questions. Yeah. That yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> all of that to say, um, that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And then I was really digging into to that while I was still in my career, uh, marketing, graduating up to a higher level of leadership and executive level in this digital space with other agencies and clients and helping new businesses get off the ground. And so what I saw was there was a real, real need to understand not only consumer-facing psychology and mm-hmm. digital as it affected, but also understanding the internal space of organizations. Mm. Yeah. And then when we all went through covid one thing that I noticed in all of that is I kept hearing this. Things like people going, I'm having these weird dreams. Are you having these weird dreams? Mm. I feel blah and I can't get over it. Yeah. I feel depressed. Things that were going on with their child, uh, their children. And so we all went through it. And it was an interesting time because as I really pondered it, I thought this was a universal experience. Mm-hmm. It wasn't localized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Everybody had their own personal experience mm-hmm. through it. But- You know, this universal experience of fear of dying Mm -hmm. mixed with forced being inside, mixed with your kitchen becoming a classroom for so many parents, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: mixed with, hey, let's discover Zoom and keep working.
2: All of these things. Have no separation between work and home. Yeah. All of
0: these things and the reality of people losing loved ones. Mm -hmm. Like we've all either had people we know or we know of people. Yeah. I haven't met anyone that doesn't know of someone who has died of COVID. So all of that, I began to say, you know, what is actually going on? I found that very fascinating. And that led to this TED Talk, mm-hmm. which is called From Ambiguous Loss to Tragic Optimism, Journeying Through Collective Grief. And yeah. that term was coined by a psychologist. She's still alive. She teaches, I think she's at the University of Minnesota. Her name is Pauline Boss, And uh, when I heard that phrase and I began to look at it, it just resonated. And Mm. I went to talk about it with other people. Yeah. Almost universally, they all said, Oh. And I saw their eyes light up and go, I can relate to that. Yeah. So having words around that and framing it, I think, is really important. Putting language for it. That's yeah. where I am today. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Thank <laughs> you.
3: One of the clinicians we work with, her name is Cindy Westcott, and she talks a lot about how grief is both highly yeah. universal and highly personal. And I think the last couple of years are a really good example of that, that we're, we're all grieving a lot of things, mm-hmm. and we're all grieving some of the same things, and we're all, it's going to show up in our lives and look a little bit different, but mm-hmm. we're all experiencing it together. Absolutely.
2: We're also experiencing it feeling alone while mm-hmm. having a universal experience, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting because yeah. you're walking through this. So much of the last two years for me has felt like I'm walking through this alone. Right. I feel lonely. We right. have a loneliness epidemic at the same time right? while also experiencing something that's really universal. And so
3: the yeah. ambiguous
2: loss language and being able to say, oh, me too. yeah. Makes you a little less alone. Yeah, it feels less alone. I just read a review
3: by Harvard that said that 63% of adults, with a heavy emphasis on young adults and women with children, uh, feel severe loneliness. Uh. I'm like, what a phrase, severe loneliness. (laughs) Mm. And yeah, how we feel like we're the only ones facing these massive griefs. Can you speak more to to that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd probably be good to define ambiguous loss. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the best definitions, it was probably from, from Pauline Boss, Dr. Pauline Boss, but it's the stress and uh, the ongoing stress that we feel when we are connected to a person or a thing that we can't quite grasp
4: or mm. find. Mm.
0: So that could be uh, an example. It could be your child goes off to college. Mm-hmm. This was an example I gave in my TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Like, we were really close, and I he, he wasn't going that far. And I knew I could call him, mm-hmm. and he would be back periodically. But I was just, like, devastated. Right. I, I couldn't, like, I couldn't wrap my head around what mm-hmm. I was feeling. Mm-hmm. But yet, I could call him.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: I couldn't. There was a psychological absence that was there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, That's good. So so that's one example. Yeah. Yeah. Another example would be living with someone who has uh, severe drug addictions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You love that person mm-hmm. and you want the best for them, but they're not there yeah. in the way that you've not known present. them. Yeah. Same thing with some living with maybe a parent that has Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So that's ambiguous loss on that level. But it can apply to what we have felt through the pandemic, mm-hmm. so many of us, is... Mm-hmm we are grieving the way things used to be. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, we're feeling like we can't get to this reality that no longer exists.
0: Yeah, and it happens so fast.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel like for me and probably for a lot
3: of people, when we first started experiencing that type of grief, I really minimized it Mm -hmm. or that type of ambiguous loss Mm because I'm like, well, I'm alive. My parents are still alive. Like, I'm safe. I was able to keep my job. Like, I very much tried to downplay the loss I was mm-hmm. feeling. And I'm sure so many of us did. Can you speak to like, what's the importance of kind of like embracing that, yeah. that yeah, like loss? That, yeah.
0: That's great. Because I'm sure you found that that didn't help. <laughs> no, <too much. laughs> made me more miserable <laughs> yeah.
3: and mad and like, yeah. yeah.
0: It's always, well, at least this, right? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times that's really unhelpful, but it's the natural place we True. go to try to comfort ourselves. Yeah. I would say that Part of just acknowledging it and just putting words around it right. is huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to say, okay, I have ambiguous loss, <laughs> yeah. and you have ambiguous and we, all have, we ambiguous. all have ambiguous It's like we're grieving the way things used to be, and mm-hmm. that's, that helps to, to frame a bigger co- a conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then what were the way things used to be, and why do we grieve it? Mm-hmm. Well, let's unpack that. I talked about Zoom life, right? Yeah. When I, I, I refer to this in my TED talk, when I went home at the end of the day and I would go in my house, I would close the garage door and it was a place of refuge right. and peace and mm-hmm. privacy. There was that wall of separation that if I wanted to let people into that world, I could go to the front door, I could call them. But something happened mm-hmm. where all of a sudden we're peering into people's kitchens mm-hmm. and they're bedroom some of them, so you know. Intimate. Depending on where you work, you know. Right. And we're seeing life that we don't normally see.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is a loss of privacy.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a loss of freedom to go, this is my safe space. Yeah. I have to make sure it looks good. Right. You know, I gotta put a green screen on, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Yeah. So that's an example of grieving the way things used to be. The ability to get up and go where you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Travel drive across town, meet with people that I like to meet with. Couldn't do that.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. All of these things are just examples of the way things used to be Mm
4: -hmm.
0: and the way that I would engage or maybe I like to go to to clubs and see bands or maybe, you know, all of these things. So, Th- this is this is a grieving of the way things used yeah. to be so that's mm-hmm. that's an example of 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 how that compounded over time yeah and then you compound that with the fear and the anxiety yeah. of okay i can't i don't have the freedom to do what i want to do or live the rhythms because we're creatures of habit right mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. get in rhythms so many of us like you know for me i get up in the morning and i grind some coffee and i go sit on the front porch and then i go for a walk or a bike ride or a run and You know, those rhythms are interrupted. Yeah. And so that affects us as well.
3: I feel like I'm wondering if ambiguous loss, I kind of, I want to compartmentalize it and say like, and now I did it, you know, like (laughs) I've done my loss and now I have none. And I think for me right now, I'm kind of experiencing that. I am almost, now that we're quote unquote, kind of on the other side, I can quote unquote, go back to real life. And it's like, my body doesn't want to. Mm. Like Mm. I'm actually, now I'm kind of in the ambiguous loss of grieving like, do I want that again? Do I want? Mm. I don't want it to stay the same that I've had in this COVID life. But I'm not. I my capacity's changed. My yeah. desires have changed. Who I want to connect with has narrowed. Mm. You know, and so I don't really want to go back. I don't really want what I've had. Yeah. But since we are these creatures of habit, it's like I'm having a hard time of getting out of that. Like, what is the what is my new rhythm and mm-hmm. how to and kind of grieving that that loss and how that's ambiguous of like I don't want what I once wanted. So mm. what do I really
0: want? And that's a great segue into the other half of my talk which was the title is from ambiguous loss to tragic optimism. And what I began to learn and unpack as I studied this and read and just kind of pondered this whole thing was a light bulb went on when I referred back and Reread uh, Victor Frankel's book, *Man's mm. Search for Meaning*. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, he was a, a psychiatrist that actually went through the Holocaust
1: mm-hmm.
0: and l- went through and lived through a concentration camp, and documented and observed the effects and the psychology mm-hmm. of all of it, and then wrote his his later life up until I think he died in the seventies.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, was all about that. And one of the things he said uh, was a quote. M- many quotes was. When we find ourselves in a situation that we can no longer change, we are forced to to change ourselves.
4: Hmm.
0: And so, hmm. you know, you can look at obviously horrific what he went through yeah. in his family. And what he found was the people who survived and lived and went on and found were the people that were able to find meaning in the midst of trauma and pain. and hmm. And so it was the man that still played his violin for the sake of beauty and Mm. art. Mm -hmm. It was the people that were staying alive for the sake of their children. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, I think of, that was the the Roberto Benigni film, It's a Beautiful Life, if you remember the theme of that. Anyway, so ambiguous loss, I think the way through it, Mm -hmm. because you do have to go through it, and, and for many of us, it never it's never over right, right. we're always dealing with there's I don't believe there's anything in something called closure that we right. manufactured to go, okay,
2: yeah, psh, right it's
0: done. That'd be nice, but. yeah, but <laughs> and Pauline Boss talks about she doesn't believe that she believes that closure is a myth. Yeah. Anyway, what sparks tragic optimism is this sense of loss. It can mm. be a catalyst mm. for these things. It's a catalyst for tragic optimism. So when you find yourselves in these situations that you can't change, mm-hmm. then you have to say, "Okay, what am how am I going to find meaning in the in the midst of this?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what we saw through covid is beautiful things happening yeah. right we yeah. saw technology which we'll talk about <laughs> in a minute <laughs> yeah. like all kinds of inventions mm-hmm. coming yeah. ways to connect we saw the 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 online giving mm-hmm. to organizations right. and the recognition of, of first responders mm-hmm. heroes coming out of that and just this this awareness of being in this together but all of a sudden we got creative in the way that mm-hmm. we learned how to connect and mm-hmm. pro- play word games with people all over the world and, <laughs> Yeah, you know uh, new forms of of doing work that mm-hmm. forced mm-hmm. us to reevaluate our work life balance mm-hmm. yeah emotional intelligence and mental health in the workplace mm-hmm. now we're talking about that right yeah and you guys do such a great work on that in that area so that's tragic optimism, and that's where you have to make those dis- hard decisions in our lives when we find ourselves in loss and pain to say, am I going to allow this to be a switch or catalyst mm-hmm. to say, where, how can I find meaning in the midst of this? Mm-hmm. And then how can I lean into that that Viktor Frankl talked about?
2: Yeah, I think it's an invitation, but it is one that we can very easily pass over or not take. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think we were even talking about this topic before, but what is the difference between optimism? I think even that word can feel kind of shallow, like, oh, yes. I'm just being optimistic and being kind of cloud in the sky or, it you know, feel idealistic. A yeah, a little naive. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the term how do you find grounded?
0: Pos- positivity, I think I, my mind yeah. goes there because that's a real thing.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's what's the a, difference between finding grounded optimism or hope or whatever we want to use that word for and just being idealistic and kind of um, wishful, thinking. wishful thinking? yeah.
0: I think going, allowing yourself to go through the pain,
2: mm-hmm.
0: acknowledging it, yeah. and realizing that darkness is not your enemy.
1: Mm, like there are good. things
0: that you can only learn in pain and in the dark that you can't learn in the light we know that from nature we yeah. know that from history we know that that you know if you put lights on a beach it will cause the the baby turtles to go toward the light mm-hmm. versus the ocean which mm. they can only be in the dark mm-hmm. um we know that there's certain things that happen at night in the natural realm that can't happen in the daytime yeah. and without those the nighttime our our internal clocks could not work. We couldn't sleep. Mm. We couldn't renew ourselves. Yeah. So again, using that as a metaphor to say when we are able to lean into that yeah. and call it what it is, it's pain and it's hard.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But how can I find meaning even in that? Yeah. And again, that's what Viktor Frankl taught us is like if you can find meaning and purpose in yeah. a concentration camp in the holocaust
4: you could find meaning. i anywhere. think you can
0: find meaning and purpose almost anywhere and yeah. that causes us to dig really 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 deep and that is the work yeah. for all of us it makes us better human beings yeah. but when we refuse to acknowledge it and go let's not talk about it mm-hmm. let's just be positive
1: mm-hmm. you're
0: denying yourself yeah. and that other person the ability to to go deep and to find deeper meaning yeah and that is really about your own uncomfortableness.
2: I'm someone who's uncomfortable with feeling pain. Right. And I'm someone who would like it just to be great. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really hard for me. Sure. And one of the things that I had to really reckon with was say, this is hard. Even just admitting this is hard. And then there was so much loss. You were talking about it compounded. And I had the tendency, like you did, Hannah, to dismiss it, to say, well, but this, but this, but this. And when I started to say... It matters that I have this loss. Mm-hmm. It matters that I can't have this baby shower. It matters mm-hmm. that I can't see and hug my grandmother. It matters, and letting that matter, it did make way yep. for me to walk out the other side and not just sit and stew in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really I think interesting. like cultural
3: optimism can feel light and airy yeah. and whatever and I think the optimism I'm hearing from you is really mm-hmm. grounded yeah, really full so of purpose grounded. and really present yes. I think a lot of times we think of optimism as like the future right. and and part of that is true I love this quote by Jess Ekstrom who we've probably used <laughs> a million times but she says optimism and anxiety what's
2: the exact quote They both allow us to imagine a future that doesn't exist. Mm.
3: Yeah, like if we have the ability to be anxious, we have the ability to be optimistic optimistic because (laughs) they both allow us to envision the future. So I think there's purpose of using optimism as a tool for the future. But I think there's also a lot of beauty as recognizing optimism as a tool for now. Yeah.
0: Mm. Uh, As there's a picture, you you both may have seen it. My Mm -hmm. wife pointed it out to me it It's in the context of the Ukraine war that's going on mm. right now, there's a picture of of a bride. Have you seen that picture? Mm-mm. She's in a beautiful bridal gown, and she is in this bombed out building mm.
1: Mm. and
0: she has this face that is not sad. It's not exactly happy, but it's present
1: mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: and she is standing there in strength going, This is my wedding day mm. and it's just the the juxtaposition of. The, the building that she's standing in with no ceiling mm-hmm. and just crumbling around her, that's healthy optimism yeah. to yeah. say, I can find meaning, I'm going to carry on,
4: yeah.
1: and
0: I'm going to find a space that there is beauty and good, even acknowledging... Yeah. this hard situation.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think presence is really the only way to yep. <laughs> move forward. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I love to be in the future. Same, I'm like same. an Enneagram same. 8. I love control. Yeah, I'm a seven, I want seven so. yeah, i She's a seven, 7 too. I I have a lot of 7s. So we get it. I want to like mm-hmm. project control. Yeah. Move through and presence is hard, but mm-hmm. I think that's the only way we we do move forward and how we enjoy life. I mean, mm-hmm. even the last couple months have been very hard like even though we're on the other side of COVID there's always something new that's really difficult Um, we're in a very heated time and I think I get really stressed and want to zoom forward to solutions to fixes all of that and requiring myself to be present and not in a in a denial way of like whatever but it gives me agency to say like this is my life what can I control Mm -hmm. what is good here what is now what can I and then like then only from there can I have agency for the future and for right. those around me. I love. I love justice. I want to help. Yeah. And so, but I can't do that if I'm not present to my own self. Yep. And finding
2: the goodness there, I guess.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good.
2: I feel so. like that's the way in this conversation. That's how we build resiliency. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I was thinking. Resiliency is built out of acknowledging that loss and then being grounded in the optimism. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I want to take a minute and tell you a little bit of a story. So prior to 2020, we had long dreamed of creating accessible and affordable resources that would meet people wherever they are, in their homes, at their workplace, with their people, in their struggle, in their healing, and in their growth. Like so many of you, we found ourselves nudged into innovation during the last few years. The pandemic fast-tracked our digital dreams And as a result, we launched our digital efforts with a few practical resources to help you navigate the unprecedented times and heightened sense of loneliness, isolation, stress, and loss of control we were all feeling. We're really proud of the content that our world-class team put out, but we wanted to enhance our online environment to help you optimize your healing and growth by infusing a little more of that healing hospitality that Onsite has become known for. So about a month ago, We introduced Onsite Online, a new enhanced learning environment to help you optimize your relationships, your health, your leadership, and your life. This improved learning environment features greater interactivity with the course material, a better user experience, and access to our enhanced resources within a new community environment. If you had already purchased a class or course from Onsite, you have probably gotten several emails from us encouraging you to get into the environment and join our new beta community. But if you have yet to check out all that is Onsite Online, now is the time. You can head to onsiteisonline.com and to celebrate the launch of this new digital platform, I wanna make sure that my podcast listeners get 15% off our entire resource library with the code PODCAST. So all you have to do is head to onsiteisonline.com and use the code PODCAST. PODCAST. You were talking about it being a really chaotic time. Yeah. And I think that's what I have learned in the last couple <laughs> years is that it we're going to continue to have loss. And so you're developing these skills. It's mm-hmm. always an invitation. You're going to get a constant invitation to mm. lean into tragic optimism. And I would love to shift over into how do we then be present where we are while having so much consumption of bad news around us? Mm. A question that you asked in your book. I don't. It was, what would you believe about the world if you didn't read the news? Mm. And so I think that's something that I also have—I know, right? Like, I would believe something completely different yeah. than what I believe when I'm in this. And so when we're speaking about presence, how do we exist in those two realities? Yeah. So I would love to hear you talk about that.
0: Yeah, oh. Well, you're talking about our digital soul book, yes. Which your is new a book. new book that's when not is that out coming yet. out? It's coming out, it'll probably be out in the next month, a month okay. and a half. We're just finishing up the final manuscript. I'm yeah. writing it with my co-author. Her name is Jenny Black. She's a therapist, and it's really about a media trauma and a path forward and collective mm-hmm. anxiety in the context of of technology. Yeah. So that has been my career,
1: mm-hmm. and so I'm
0: coming at it from a maybe more business psychology standpoint she's coming at it from a therapy individual standpoint so i'm very pro technology but i also understand the dangers so in that book we talk about that that we live in this world where we are seeing everything at one time and we're all invited into and we're players in the drama that we have nothing to do with right Mm. so we observe these things all the time and we observe the news all the time. And so therefore we're, we're forced to pick a side Mm. in the way that social media works today. Yeah. Right. Hopefully we're hoping for better tomorrow. I I gave you this quote when we were eating lunch earlier, but Edward Wilson, he's a a famous biologist actually just died last year, but he made a comment. That's a, that's a quote I always go back to. And he said, the problem with humanity is that we have paleolithic emotions Medieval institutions and godlike technology.
1: <laughs>
2: Isn't and that good? Yeah, I you're like, it. oh gosh, that's a lot.
0: <laughs> and and so our brains for the last yeah. tens of thousands of years haven't changed a whole lot. Yeah. We're a lot smarter. Yep. We know more. We know our science. But emotions are emotions. Right. You know, r- whether you're running away from a bear that's gonna get into your cave and eat your kids. Mm-hmm is the same fear, anxiety, and trauma that we may experience today from, you know, oh, my gosh, my bank account was overdrawn and they're going to repossess my house and, you know, whatever it may be that Mm -hmm. we're dealing with, even smaller issues.
4: Right, yeah.
0: And so we juxtapose that up against this technology Mm -hmm. that is just magic to people back then, you know, Mm -hmm. like magical. Yeah. Still, even to us, if you really stop and think about this, what you have in your pocket is more computing power than it took to take the man to the moon.
4: Insane. So
0: then you go okay, well how do we how, do, how what do we do with that? Yeah. Which is compounding those things of mm-hmm. news and things like that. So it's a much bigger question. Yeah. That we can dive into some of those aspects, but I think at the core that is the problem yeah. is we've got to make and create technology and make choices as humans. Yeah that allow us to say okay this these paleolithic emotions i can only engage with other human beings in relationship
4: yeah
0: and one of the problems that that i'm seeing and i believe is a real problem is we have these attachment disorders that mm-hmm. are taking place in people because of screens and one of the things you see over and over in therapy across the world is you have healthy families healthy children healthy mm-hmm. parents who are experiencing the same effects of trauma that with no f- actual trauma taking place, yeah, but they're being traumatized by their devices. Mm-hmm. So, you have a relationship with a narcissistic bully every day, 10 hours a day, yeah, over and over and over and over again. Mm. So, we've got to deal with that. As I'd a, love for you to speak people. more about
3: attachment yeah. in relation to our phone, our phone and devices. Yeah. devices and- Can you give a brief overview of attachment in general from a psychology perspective? Yeah. And then mm-hmm. what does that mean from?
0: I, my master's degree is behavioral and organizational psychology. So I'm not a therapist right. and I don't, I'm not a doctor. So all of that to say, attachments are, obviously as we're growing up as, as children, mm-hmm. uh, we become attached to our parents, our, care, our caregivers, and We go on and have relationships, and hopefully those are healthy attachments. But we also know that as human beings and here at on-site, that's your work. Yeah. You're dealing mm-hmm. with people that have unhealthy attachments yeah. to things, to people, to relationships. And those can be a result uh, of trauma. They can be a result of many different things that mm-hmm. are unhealthy. But let's say hypothetically— that you do live in a pretty healthy environment with pretty healthy attachments to people and organizations, your work life, but yet you have these symptoms mm. of of someone who's been traumatized or is in a very unhealthy relationship. Yeah. And um, one of the things that someone has said is the hallmarks of whether you're an addict to something or not is What's the first thing you think of daily when you wake up in the morning? And for most of us, we it's either coffee or we pick up our phone or mm-hmm. a combination of both. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> together at the same right,
0: time. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, that's a bold statement to say we're all addicts. But, mm-hmm. I mean, really, yeah. think about it. That's our biggest, one of our biggest attachments. Yes. And so, okay, so if that's one of our biggest attachments, w- what kind of relationship do I have mm. with this attachment? You ask, you know, what kind of relationship did you have with your parents? Were they loving? Were they kind? Were they abusive? Were they controlling?
4: Mm-hmm. What
0: kind of relationship do you have with your spouse or your significant other or your friends or your boss in a toxic workplace? Yeah. If you b- apply those same things to your phone, you see we're looking to that attachment for dopamine hits daily. Mm-hmm. It makes us feel good. It gives us things that no human being in any relationship can give on that level because we simultaneously can get humor and laughter
4: mm-hmm. and
0: joy and we can cry and mm. we can feel really bad about ourselves and yeah. we, can, we, can, we can be bullied depending on you know, how we're internalizing all those things. So that's a really unhealthy attachment. Right. And the stress, the anxiety, we have a quote in our book, Of, I think it was Jenny's son who said, I'm just trying to survive moment by moment, not knowing if the ding, one of the dings from my phone is gonna throw me into Mm -hmm. some sort of depression.
3: Yeah. I'm really curious about the whiplash of that. Like how you said, we can get a laugh, we can cry, we can be stressed out, and the way that specifically Instagram, but any social Mm -hmm. media set up, like, We're scrolling, and we get all of those in four seconds. This One is set up to keep you there. And I'm seeing trauma. I'm seeing political things. I'm seeing a friend's baby announcement. I'm seeing all of the things. I'm seeing a funny Mm -hmm. TikToker. I'm seeing things I never wanted to see because I didn't subscribe in the first place, but I'm getting an ad or a suggested something. Like, how do we, as humans, do that? Mm-hmm. Is there a healthy way to do that? Is that a normal thing for our brains to mm-hmm. say, like cry, laugh, be mad, angry, be yeah. anxious? Yeah. Like, I don't
0: believe it is.
2: Yeah, not even consciously.
0: Yeah, and I think we're seeing the effects of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're seeing high, high levels of anxiety mm-hmm. in kids and in people of all ages. Like yeah. when in when in this time in history have we ever had, you know, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, five-year-olds, ten-year-olds, twelve-year-olds saying. I, I have high, high levels of anxiety.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what is causing that? I don't know, but that they're having panic attacks just for no reason. Yeah. Well, we we know the reason.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a study that I think about all the time. Mm-hmm. And now it's probably in its seventh or eighth year being out there. And it still haunts me daily, is do you remember the Boston uh, Marathon bombing mm-hmm. that took place? I think it was back in 2013, maybe 2012. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a study that was done shortly after, I think it was 2013, 2014, where it was, uh, I think, two or 3,000 people. And they studied people who were actually present at the event, witnessed it,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and people who saw it repeatedly on social media. Mm. And they measured the uh, physiological, biological, Trauma responses mm-hmm. and long-term effects. So they did it over a few years, and what they um, found was the people who witnessed it on screens was worse the mm. effects than the people who witnessed it who was actually there. Yeah, and the logic and the science behind that they believe, and there's still a lot more study to be done, is that physically, when you have something happen like that, your body, your brain triggers your body, releases chemicals, and it says, okay. Go run over there and help them. Mm-hmm. Go run under a table. Scream. Call 911. However you respond to mm-hmm. those traumatic events, yeah. your body works itself out. It's why you go and, y- you know, you see these videos of the lion chasing the, you know, the gazelle. Yeah. And the gazelle gets away and it goes and hides under a tree. And it,
2: it moves, its whole moves, body. moves
0: and shakes and acts like it's running in place. And then after a few minutes, it gets up. And it walks away.
2: I think there's a book called Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers. Mm. And that's the whole premise of it is that they're able to, like, finish the stress cycle.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. And
2: I think it's so interesting you talking about viewing it versus actually being in it. Like, I wonder what's happening in our brains because we're not able to have that fight, flight, or freeze response. We probably just have freeze as an option because there is no way to work it out of our bodies. It's continued
0: I mean, micro trauma. It's, it's yeah. like you said, It's it's seeing it and going— oh, that's awful. Swipe? Oh, that's really bad. Oh, yeah. Let me get another angle. And your brain is recognizing it, yeah. but you're rationalizing it right. away. Right. Mm. But your body yeah. is still wanting to have that right. response. Well, At
3: yeah. site we're highly experiential, mm-hmm. meaning that most of our programs incorporate some sort of somatic psychodrama or somatic therapy. And why that is? Because trauma is stored in our bodies mm. yeah. <laughs> in addition to our brains. And so like, until we can actually access that, it's really impossible to move through most of it. And we can move around it and with it, et cetera, but to actually kind of move through a lot of it, we have to, our bodies have to access it. And so that makes a lot of sense that, not to minimize or downplay any in-person traumatic experiences, that that takes a lot of work, a lot of healing, and a lot of intention. Mm -hmm. But... If we are experiencing micro traumas and we're not treating it like a acknowledging trauma, it, yeah. and we're not allowing our bodies to go through it as well, it's gonna stay there. It's gonna yeah. get stuck. Absolutely. I think
2: about it makes me think of the story. Um, there was a girl who was a part of the Columbine shooting. Mm-hmm. and she every I think it's about acknowledging and allowing ourselves like to talk about that room, right Like we're not talking about the bombing if we watch it, but we're talking about it more likely if we were a part of it, where so this girl went on walks every day with her mom and talked about it and process. And it wasn't the intention of their, their walk every single time, but there was a space to talk about what she had experienced, what she had witnessed. And she was the only person of this group of kids that they studied and kind of talked to afterward who didn't have post-traumatic stress hmm. because she had been given the ability to have the bilateral stimulation and work it out of her body in a safe space to acknowledge and process through both verbally mm-hmm. and somatically what she had experienced. And so it just is interesting to me to think about like, Are we giving ourselves even the consciousness to say, is what I'm consuming traumatizing me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. and I feel like maybe
3: it's probably compounded mm. with we're in isolation or we have been we're in our homes we're yeah. not doing as much We're obviously our media intake is Increasing. through the roof yeah. but even the simplicity mm. of like I'm not taking as many walks you know yeah. like how where my regular life I was moving more I was going more places mm-hmm. I was having more conversations mm-hmm. and now it takes a lot of intention we still can access that but I know I have to do it we, we just recently started as a team like holding each other accountable like <laughs> what are you doing this week to get? Your body to do something to care mm-hmm, for yourself, and for so self-care. like most of my time, it's like I'm going on a lunchtime walk because I actually we're as people that work in media and marketing, we're consuming a lot even in our workday all the time, yeah. as most people are. But it's like, how do I stop even then, even if I'm not acknowledging what I'm intaking, and say like my body needs an output mm. right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the that's the key to all this
3: mm-hmm.
0: is listening to your body because when you're online. You really are in a different, you're out of your body. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's why when you're interrupted, when you're scrolling or text, you kind of get a little angry if someone like, just hold on a second, you know, or, hey, hey, I'm saying something to you. You literally leave your body in a a mental sense and you enter into this other realm or reality Mm. that's engaging with all kinds of things online, whatever it may be. And it doesn't just affect you. The reality is, are you familiar with the still face experiment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what's going on, you know, Mm -hmm. and amplified through, through COVID is you have parents who... Are doing the still face experiment with their young children all the time.
2: Yeah. So, still face experiment, will you explain it just a little bit? We show it in some of our workshops actually to talk about like the importance of.
0: Back in the 70s, I forget what college it was at, they did an experiment where they said, uh, and it's online, you can go to YouTube and actually see videos from it.
2: It's uncomfortable. Yeah, it is very
0: uncomfortable where you had a mother
2: Mm -hmm. with
0: their young infant, usually, you know, old enough to sit up and engage and, and play and laugh and smile. And the mother would be there, you know, looking at the baby and the baby looking back and the baby's gooing. Mm-hmm. And then they would turn away. They would come back and they would just be flat effect, no emotions,
1: hmm.
0: not responding, just looking straight ahead, no emotions. And you would see the baby try to get the mother's attention mm-hmm. to have some kind of response. The baby then would get irritated. Some of them would cry. Some of them would then figure out ways to soothe themselves. Mm,
4: mm-hmm. Some
0: of them would act out like they would scream. Okay. Some, some of them would just revert to sucking their thumbs. Whatever it may be, the mother's face and how they paid attention and, mm-hmm. and engaged with that child um, made a big difference. And so, again, you start thinking, okay, what would a healthy diet of that, of mm. a child being forced to self-soothe themselves, So I think that's what's happening many times.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Because I know. That would produce anxiety. I know
0: if I'm with someone and they immediately pick up their phone, like, they still face me, right? Like, they're not engaged.
2: Hmm. They're
0: not really with me at that time. They've gone into another experience. And so this is long term. But. Unfortunately, (laughs) again, this is not a knocking all technology. But what do we do? We give them their own screen, Mm -hmm. and we teach them: this is how you soothe yourself. This is how
2: you disengage. This is how you escape. This This is how you make you feel
0: better. This is how you get those dopamine hits that you're looking for in that those personal Mm. relationships.
3: So, what do we do with that? Yeah, I, was about to I say, mean, I know that uh, there's like, we can't all, the reality is, we can't yeah. all throw away our phones today. Right. We still do need to know what's mm-hmm. happening in the world. We probably yeah. still need to communicate with our teams yep. and our families. Like, what What are some healthy next steps for some of this?
2: Well, I think as three people who live, mm-hmm. live yeah. in this intersection it's something we feel all the time. Yeah, we feel passionate mm-hmm. about using it for good, sure. but how do we do that? So, give us some hope, yeah. Bob. Yeah. You are very hopeful some about, about yeah, media. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that.
0: One of the things you said was you get back to the basics, mm-hmm. and in the book, Our Digital Soul, we talk about this, mm-hmm. is you remember to feel and be in touch with your body. Yeah. You, what I do is I get up frequently throughout the day if I'm working online, and I take walks in nature, connect with mm. nature connect with trees, Connect. just walk somewhere where you can get outside and look.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: To me, that's one of the most important things you can do. Also is when you're with someone, put your phone away, turn it off. That's just just it, that's a rule. If you've got kids and you have a family, if you're at the dinner table, no phones allowed. Mm-hmm. Just this the things that we know to do, it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. I encourage everyone, take breaks from social media. Yeah. Delete your Instagram, delete your Facebook or whatever you need to do. Turn it off and go for a month. See if you can go for a week at a time. See if you can go for a month at a time. Yeah, World's not going to end. You're Mm -hmm. not going to lose any friends. I think the biggest lie that we believe is you can't live without it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You can't live without it. You Mm -hmm. can live without it. You can live without it. Now, our work requires it. Mm -hmm. Some of our connections with family and friends require it. But it's not it will never replace the human engagement, the human interaction. There are people like Tristan Harris at the Center for Ethical Technology out in California Mm -hmm. and others who are in Silicon Valley who are who are really researching the ethics and trying to say what is the way that we can change algorithms yeah. and build in ethics courses into computer engineering courses—that mm. you're required to take these ethics courses if you're going to be a computer engineer—push mm-hmm. for those type changes. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're building. We're the ones that are building and programming in
4: mm-hmm. uh,
0: these things. We can make better choices. We can do things like real-time, time-based feeds Mm. uh, versus the algorithm figuring out what they think you like and forcing people to go down rabbit holes. And, you know, if a young girl is reading, seeing YouTube videos about how to lose weight and Mm -hmm. to be skinnier, hey, there's uh, two hours of this. Let's feed some positive stuff in here versus more and more More and more and more. Uh, there's real practical things we can do but
3: I think one of the biggest gifts of our program that people are usually surprised by is the detachment from technology so when people come and do a workshop it on site they give their phone and all of their devices at the beginning of the week and people are so anxious about yeah. that. I was going to say is there anxiety for totally. the first couple of days? Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. And I know, the I handing know I in feel that way too anxious. but it's awkward and some people are really mad and some people think they can't. They, they think that the world will end, mm. you know? And I get that there's pressing c- c- yeah, circumstances totally. with family and things like that that it feels scary to be detached but it's always a gift to people and it's always the gateway to connection both with self and with others. Yep. I think the relationship. That you make when you're in a workshop here are unparalleled because you're actually connecting, because you're not competing for a phone at the dinner table, because Mm -hmm. you're not at after dinner, you're going on a walk with somebody because Mm -hmm. you're not gonna go scroll or like watch a TikTok or something like that, or even consume the news or do your work. Like Mm -hmm. it is just requires you to be present. And I think it's one of the biggest game changers. I know like there's so many things, there's so many beautiful psychological. Therapy mm-hmm. modalities that we use here, which are truly life changing. But I think some of the biggest life changing things are like unplugging, sitting across from someone that you don't know, and just getting to know them. Yeah. I've never laughed so hard as I mm-hmm. did when I did that for a week. Mm. I've never played so hard. I've never rested so hard. Yeah. I think we hear time and time again from people that they get the best sleep of their mm. life here, and we're like, yeah, like it's you and it's you don't have a in phone by your head Like there's <laughs> exactly. no phone by your head, and you laughed and you cried and you ate good food. Like the things that. Keep us human, connecting mm-hmm. with other people, yeah. is what actually invigorate us and Absolutely. empower us, and so
0: and that's the magic, and that okay. that's the solution, right? Yeah. Like I don't think we have to get complicated with it. Yeah. It's just turn it off and take some time to do the most human things, which is all the things you just yeah. said.
3: Yeah. And I think going back to the earlier part of this conversation, I think that's the only way we engage with the tragic optimism, because. Mm-hmm. When I engage with that loss, the ambiguous ambiguous loss, is mm-hmm. that the term? My first instinct is like, who else is going through it? Can I scroll? Can I yeah. find what else people are saying about it? Right. Um, I learn what can I do about it? it? I'm going to consume it. everything. Mm-hmm. Tell, me, tell me how to mm-hmm. fix it. Or I want to feel better. Or show me something funny. And I can't actually find that presence that we are talking about until I—and it's not like— throw away your phone forever, but I'm not going to be present with my partner right now if, if I need to like actually engage with what's good around me right now mm-hmm. if I'm consumed in media. Yeah. And so like I think that that's healthy separation and boundaries around it yeah. is the only way to be present and then therefore gather that optimism so we can begin to move
0: yeah. forward. How would you treat another person if you were in a relationship where they caused anxiety and made you feel bad about yourself? You would create some healthy boundaries. Yeah. You take yeah. time away, and if you need be, you might have to cut that person out of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's the way you need to treat and look at. You know, because we—it's it, this funny thing that we like. We can stalk people online.
4: Yeah,
0: like you can go and see who followed them, and you can see. Like if you were to do that in real life, yeah, it's
4: so scary. Like, that, that's scary. That's <laughs> creepy. Kind of,
0: that's kind of creepy and psycho, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. we have no problem doing it in the secrecy of our own. Screen life, right? Yeah. So I just, if we can start to 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 more humanize mm-hmm. and look at things through those lenses and go, wait a second, this is not healthy. I, yeah. If I did this in real life, this is not. It's something called the online disinhibition effect. There's been some studies about that, but mm, just that's just what you're talking about is how can I be more human and enjoy the things that get me in touch with my
2: body? Yeah, that's so good. I think connections, the piece there. I just yeah. keep hearing one of my favorite definitions of attachment is the things that we do to find connection. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get unhealthily attached if you have to unhealthily find connection. And there's no way to healthily attach to your phone because you're not going to find that connection that you're seeking.
3: Right, it's a one-way street. You're you're the only human involved there. It's not a mutual connection. We think it's humans on the other side of it, but it's just a Mm. production of what we see and consume. Yeah, there's
0: one more quote that I think is really applicable to this. Mm -hmm. And uh, a guy named McLeod, I forget his first name anyway, he said, Never compare your insides to another person's outside. Mm. And I think that today's technology yeah. really encourages that. Like mm-hmm. we are always putting our best foot forward mm-hmm. and we're always comparing ourselves and using technology as a way to to either feel better about ourselves or to feel really crappy about ourselves mm-hmm. yeah. versus that's just someone's outside. Appearance and nine times out of ten, it's fake to begin with.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: you're, but you're always going. Oh, I'm. I must not be very good, or I'm, haven't quite achieved that. You're comparing your inside to someone's outside. Mm. That's never healthy.
2: So good. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Yeah. I'm just so grateful for the way that you kind of hold those two things. Mm-hmm. All the uh, real weightness of what technology is doing to us, while also being optimistic and hopeful for sure. how we can utilize it um, for good. So, Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen